1: I am so excited. We've got breaking news for you. Adam Sud, Tara Kemp, two extraordinary individuals working in the plant-based space. Adam, I'm straight out to you. You've got some really important news about the plant-based movement as it relates to addiction. There's a study. That's all I know. Take it away.
2: Yeah. Uh, So Tara and I have been, gosh, we've been working on this now for four years, which is crazy to think about. But we just completed the very first controlled trial investigating the effects of plant-based nutrition, uh, on early addiction recovery outcomes. Um, amazingly, this is the very first nutrition study of any kind ever done in a controlled setting, uh, on addiction recovery outcomes in the early stages. And we are so excited to be publishing four manuscripts within the next year, uh, probably within the next six months. Uh, but we'll see how it goes. Um, and we're, you know, my my whole mission is to change the way that we look at addiction recovery forever. Um, and, and hopefully this is going to be a small part of that. So we're, well, we're just so excited.
1: I think that's extraordinary. Let's spell it out in basic people terms that everybody can understand. Sure. What are you saying there? And maybe, Tara, you can join in. What are you saying? Yeah. Is there a connection between um, going plant based and overcoming an addiction, whatever that addiction might be. There are many, yeah. many addictions. I'm a recovering alcoholic with 26 years uh, sober one day at a time. Thank you very much. Um, and I'm plant based, too. But actually, yeah. I got sober before I went vegan. Uh, Tara, spell it out for people who are maybe not sure
3: what exactly this study is. Sure. Would you like me to start by saying kind of what we found, or do you want me to kind of lay out what the study itself was, what we were doing?
1: No. What did you find? Then we'll go back to <laughs> <do> the details. <laughs>
3: yeah, totally. We'll just we'll just jump to the important part, right? Um, so we can't conclusively say that a plant-based diet improves addiction outcomes. We don't have the ability to say that based on the way that you know the research is done. But what we can say is that there's a strong association in certain ways. And we found exciting things that have not been talked about before, have not been explored before. Like Adam was saying, this is an area where there just hasn't been enough interest and there hasn't been, these questions haven't been explored, they haven't been asked. And so we started to ask those questions and- Now we have a lot of direction to say that, yes, you know, we did see an improvement in resilience in those who ate a higher quality diet versus those that didn't. And we saw greater self-esteem over time. And so things like that that we know are associated with having um, a lower chance of relapse and a higher chance of living out the rest of your life in that state of recovery. Um, we do have evidence to show that. And so we're really excited by what we found there. And um, yeah, it's just been an amazing experience to get to know all of this.
1: So let me get it straight. Because Adam, your story is extraordinary. And you're my (laughs) hero for being really transparent about everything you were experiencing. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I'll tell you, if I lost 180 pounds, I wouldn't tell anybody. (laughs) I just (laughs) turned those pictures and pretend like that never happened. Um, So... Now you're this rugged fit and I'll just go out on a limb and say it. Handsome guy. But you're (laughs) telling a story of where you came from. Um, All addiction ultimately involves incomprehensible demoralization. I've been there. That's how I hit bottom. And thank God. Um, Tell us your story. And again, I still am not exactly clear on what the breaking news headline is like. If there were a headline to come out of your study, I know you can't yeah. say anything conclusive because you are responsible. You're not gonna- <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I'm the one who gets to be, <laughs> yeah, <buried> it down. <laughs> you're not going to yeah. go, whoa, we've cured. That's irresponsible, and I understand you're responsible people. You're not going to do that. But if there it was a headline, it's like mm-hmm. promising study is um, shows that there's a promising link between. Uh, addiction recovery and a plant-based diet, would it be a promising possible connection?
2: Yeah, what I would say is that there is a there's a connection between dietary quality and specific recovery outcomes. Um, <laughs> and And that's never been shown before. This is this is groundbreaking research that's never been investigated. And I think about you know the anti- or the, the beginning of this what was what was the, the tipping point? that got me, that sparked this thing in me that, that to, to do this investigation. And it was my recovery journey. You know, back in 2009, uh, I was 350 pounds. I had type 2 diabetes that I didn't know about. Uh, I had high cholesterol and high blood pressure. Um, and I had the opportunity to attend an event, a seven-day retreat with a man named Rip Esselstyn, who is now, um, many people probably have seen the film The Game Changers. He's the executive producer of that film. He is also the author of Plant Strong, uh, The Engine 2 Diet. And his dad is the famous Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn Forks over Knives. And I was sent there by my dad who had been witnessing my life spiral out of control from drugs and from fast food. And, you know, I went to this seven-day retreat. In all honesty, I was high every day that I was there. And I went to every single lecture and listened to these luminary thought leaders explain the power and profound impact that is held within a plant-based diet for you to own your health and well-being, to take charge and become, as Tara likes to say, in partnership with a body that wants you to thrive. And I was even had the amazing opportunity to spend that seven days with a man named John Pierre, who I know you know, jane um and he had me watch a film the second night i was there and that film is called earthlings Mm. and um i had never seen it before and to be honest i couldn't watch the whole thing i've actually never watched it in its entirety i had i have to watch it in parts um i've seen the whole film but never from beginning to end um and i wish i could tell you that when confronted with the reality of what exists in the world as a result of my choices when confronted with the reality of what my future was going to look like if i continued on this road that i was on That that was what was allowing, that was going to empower me to make change immediately. But the reality is that I simply wasn't willing to give up what was allowing me to escape a life that was too painful a place to be. It was a pain that I didn't understand. It was a pain that I didn't know it was okay not to understand. It was a pain that I didn't know it was okay to tell people. Uh, And it was promising a future that was very scary and I didn't know how to get out of it. And there was an amazing solution that I had every single day that was easy and repeatable, and that was substance abuse. And letting that go on the gamble that what these people were telling me would actually work out was too terrifying a risk for me to take until about two or three years later uh, when I was 30 years old and I uh, ended up attempting suicide by overdose. At that time in my life, living hurt physically, spiritually, and emotionally And every single day, I I existed in the full belief that it was the worst it had ever been and that tomorrow would be worse. And eventually, when you spend enough time in that place, tomorrow is something you don't want to be a part of. And I remember waking up on the floor of my apartment in a pile of fast food garbage after surviving an overdose and overcome with immense relief. And I was that person that Jane, Tara, everybody who's listening, you probably know this person. You probably have, and if you knew me and if you loved me then, if you were a friend or a family member, you probably at some point would have come up to me and said, Adam, don't you see what you're doing to yourself? Don't you see what the drugs, what the food is doing to you? And if you're a person who was a compassionate vegan activist, you would have said, don't you as a person who claims to love animals, see what's happening. And I would have said to you, I'd have looked you dead in the eye and said, so what? Mm. This is how I live my life. You don't understand the pain I live in and you don't understand the relief that I get. So if it costs me five years, fine. I'm okay with that. And I think about it now. I thought about it then. Five years? I mean, how many of us have thrown a number out there like that, out there like it's nothing? I mean, my goodness, if I had been successful, what would my family not give up for five days with me? Think about that person in your life, that you've loved the most, who's no longer here, what would you give for five hours with them? Mm. The things that we choose to believe have consequences on ourselves and the people that we care about and the world that we care about. And I decided that I was gonna take this opportunity for those people, not for myself yet, but for those people to call and ask for help. I checked into rehab. I was diagnosed with type two diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, erectile dysfunction bipolar disorder, suicidal depression, anxiety disorder, sleep disorder, attention deficit disorder, and obsessive compulsive personality disorder, put on a cabinet's worth of medication and had my entire understanding of recovery shattered because I was a cliche. I walked into rehab high, fully expecting to leave after 28 days and go back and use but have a handle on it, like the, the absolute cliche of recovery, and thank goodness I was as sick as I was. Because it forced me to understand that if I wasn't willing to change everything about the way that I moved through the world, sober or not, I wasn't guaranteed five years. And I was transported back to those seven days with Rip and his team, where I was being given a completely different story than the one I was being told by the doctor in front of me. The doctor in front of me was saying, you're diabetic and you have heart disease because it's your genetics. This is something that you're going to have for the rest of your life. And just so you know, the leading cause of death for diabetics is heart disease. You already have both. So your future is actually going to be quite a rough one. We need to talk about future insulin use. We need to talk about the potential of amputation and blindness. And the message that was being told to me at the retreat was something very different from that. It was one that was saying that essentially what I was dealing with was a very reasonable and predictable response to an abnormal way of living. That it makes sense. That it's less pathology than it is a reasonable response to life. And I decided I would make plant-based nutrition the backbone of my recovery. And after 37 days in rehab, moved into a sober living facility, adopted a plant-based diet. And in four or five months, the heart disease, the diabetes, the erectile dysfunction were completely reversed. Within 10 months, lost over 100 pounds. Within one year, I was off of every single medication I was putting on in rehab, all my psych meds, everything. And I, I found this incredible shift that occurred as a result of using food as a way to build my life around self love and self care individuals with substance abuse disorder or substance use disorder. I find it really interesting that my last name is the acronym for addiction, substance use disorder, SUD. Um, But people with end stage or uh, with, with advanced substance use disorder, their entire life is built around when they use, how they use, and if they're going to use. All other self-care comes second, if not even further from that. And now I had rearranged, reprioritized my life to be around not just nutrition, but again, alluding to what Tara teaches, but to how I use food to create a loving partnership between myself, my body, and what matters most to me in life. Those loving and meaningful bonds that give us the experience of being alive. Because if you think about it, there's not a single negative consequence in my life that motivated me to change. No one cares about their diabetes. No one cares about their heart disease. No one cares about their addiction. They care about what it can take from them. They care about the loving and meaningful bonds that are being threatened. And it's those loving and meaningful bonds, that's the motivation. That's the value gain of prioritizing your life around a partnership between you, your body, your recovery, your spiritual health, your emotional health, and what you put on your plate. And as a result of reversing my conditions, developing a loving and meaningful relationship with myself that I wanted to show up and be present for every single day, eventually developing a loving and meaningful relationship with people in my life that I wanted to show up and be present for every single day, a loving and meaningful relationship with a purpose in my life within a, a community of shared respect that I wanted to show up and be present for every single day and now having a future that feels safe that I want to be, show up and be present and work for every single day there's a lot less likelihood that I want to escape my present day life with a substance. The substance use now has no need because my life is something I want to show up and be present for. Plant-based nutrition was an amazing vehicle that allowed me to reconnect to that. And the vegan aspect of plant-based nutrition helped me see that I am not just a part of this world or uh, that I don't just live in this world. I am a part of it. I'm a part of it all. My impact, my actions have a huge part to play on the goings-on of the world around me. I am not insignificant. I do matter. And and that's important. That that ability to see yourself as part of the whole is huge in recovery. It's massive. And what that I wanted to investigate, what does all of these factors have in regards to creating the opportunity to strengthen that foundation for recovery. Because I'm going to tell you, I came into rehab the sickest I'd ever been in my life, and I left the healthiest I'd ever been in my life. And I witnessed many, 12, there was 12 to 15 guys at any given time living in sober living with me who were doing the same program as I was, who were actively seeking recovery, seeking reconnection. And they, were, they weren't they were as successful. Did some of them get sober? A hundred percent. Some of them did. Not all, but some of them did. But they didn't have the, the disease reversal. They didn't have that reconnection to the to the, the innate power that they hold within themselves to retake their lives and control of their lives. There wasn't that reconnection to the natural world and and the community around them. And and I think that that's that there's something inherent in a plant based diet that does that.
3: Yeah, yeah. If I can jump in, I think that, you know what what Adam's story highlights is that You know, so often in addiction recovery, we focus on the chemical dependency as a physical disease, as a physical disorder. But Mm. I mean, what his story shows is that, you know, it is categorized as a mental disorder. It is an emotional mental disorder of disconnection. And what we saw in Adam's story, we actually did see reflected in our study participants. Many of them, we did qualitative interviews when they were leaving the intervention. And they would say things, you know, reflecting the fact that they did feel a more meaningful connection to food and that they did feel greater self-esteem and that they did feel more connected to a sense of purpose, to the environment, that they felt like they were finally living in alignment with their values. And those things they said were a meaningful part of their recovery that they felt changed this because, you know, many people who are going through these programs, it's not their first rodeo it's not their first time they they're going through these programs multiple times because 40 to 60 percent of addiction treatment fails and that either means that you know someone relapses and comes back or unfortunately adam can speak to this more than i can but far too often um you know overdose and suicide is is the result of this and so you know when people have this sense of connection to themselves to something greater than themselves um, you know, it, it puts them on that path to be able to have a more sustainable recovery. And the people in the study were sharing that with us. And to me, those personal stories and personal reflections are more powerful than anything because that is them expressing their personal story and their narrative about who they are and what is the, the route of their recovery.
1: I'm going to jump in because we have people who ask questions. They're very curious about this. Um, I believe we have Sarah on hold. Sarah, are you there? Your question or thought? Paige, is Paige on hold?
2: Uh, Paige.
1: Okay, Paige, your question or thought? Yes, hi. Am I audible? Yes, you are.
4: (laughs) Okay, good morning. This is very important to me, having lost a brother um, who took his life, When I was 19, uh, he was 20, and I've, you know, in in all the years, been seeking answers, and I've come to the conclusion that the chemical imbalance that he was experiencing is a reason for his choice. Um, I truly believe that when people are pushed to the edge of not knowing they have resources. So, having this information out, I think, is going to be incredibly valuable, and Adam, I just want to say... What compels me to your story is the turnaround and, wow, I can't imagine what it's like when somebody hears your story and you give them hope. Have you found that when you have had, you know, parents or even, uh, you know, young people, young people hear your story, are are you finding that they're motivated to make change? Um, I just just find it to be so inspiring.
1: When they hear your story... If they have a substance abuse problem, do you motivate them to uh, seek this solution?
2: I think uh, I think that people are are storied creatures. I think that we're creatures of meaning and, and context, so we find ourselves in humans that share stories. So absolutely, and that's that's step one is that you know someone else can share possibility that that there that there is a potential. For it to regain and recapture that connected experience of being alive, um, and it's important to understand that that we we when we look at suicide suicidality, when we look at anxiety, when we look at depression, instead of looking at it solely as pathology, it, it actually does us better if we think about how does it make sense? Mm. Why is this person Brilliant. seeing this as a reasonable uh, solution to a problem and a pain that they don't understand?
1: That is. Um,
2: good. Because suicide isn't someone wanting to end their life. It's someone wanting to end their pain. That's what it is. And if they could solve that pain alone, they would. But they're cloaked in stigma and they're cloaked in shame and they don't know that it's okay. And the number one thing we can do is we can listen to them. We can we can let them know that I love you. Whatever state you're in, I love you whether you're using or you're not. I love, I love you whether you're hurting or not. And if you need me, I will listen to you. I will come and I will sit with you. Because listening is an act that's very close to loving. And if someone is really struggling, they just want to know that they've not been forgotten by the people that mean the most to them in the world. And to them, listening looks so much like loving that I guarantee you they can't tell the difference.
1: I want to jump in. Uh, We do have Sarah now. Sarah, your question or thought.
4: Hi, my question is for Adam. Adam Do you go to rehab facilities? Are you in contact with several networks of like rehab facilities across the nation where you could talk to the people that are addicted that the reason why all that's happening and then get them on the plant-based diet and how they can, you know, make better decisions once they're sober off of the food, you know, and the drugs. So do you think that could go hand in hand like a program? It seems like there should be a, program like there was in the past called Carnivores Anonymous, but something like Mm. that uh, with anonymity to it, but also with the people that are in the drug rehab, because I feel like the reason why they're doing all this stuff is because of what they are eating and they're becoming depressed and then they're taking drugs and then it's just a a big cycle. I just wanted to see what you said about what your thing was on it. Thank you, sir.
2: Yeah, so... Thanks for asking that question, and, and the answer is yes. I do go around and, and speak to different rehab facilities. I'd, I'd love to do more, obviously, um, and, and I think it's important not to look at food as a cure-all, right? Uh, I think it's important not to look at food as the cause-all either um, of depression and anxiety. It's it's too multifaceted. We're too we're too much of this beautifully complex creature for it to be just a one-size-fits-all solution for everybody. But food plays a role for sure, um, and and the intention is matters a lot. Like why this person chooses to eat a certain way in regards to their situation. And again, why does it make sense that that's why they're going that direction? Because if it makes sense, then it's not crazy. Then it isn't pathology. Then it's reasonable. And then we can. what we can do is we can remove the shame and say, oh, this isn't a willpower issue. This is you were, you were given a solution. You were given a package that for a brief moment in time relieved pain and discomfort in a way that you've never experienced before. And it felt so successful. And the the repeatability of it was so great that you couldn't not do it again because most people do not understand the pain that you're in and they don't understand the relief that was given to you by this behavior, whether it was food, whether it was drugs, whether it was sex, whether it was gambling, whatever the behavior is. And so I think that when we break it down, if we stop looking at this as a dependency issue and more as a reasonable response to an abnormal way of living, then we can have compassion for these people. We can say, hey, listen. If this makes sense then addicts aren't criminals they're humans in pain if this makes sense suicidal people aren't crazy they're humans in pain if this makes sense depressed people for the most part are not sick they're humans in pain and if we could stop defining people by what they struggle with it would be easier for us to listen to their needs and we could then see how much their needs make sense and then we can be there for them we can say hey listen What we know is that plant-based nutrition offers you the opportunity to regain that physical connection to yourself as an unbroken human, which is amazing. Most of these people feel like they they, they feel broken. They don't know why. If they could do better, they would do better. Every human is doing the best they can with what they know, and they feel like they should know differently, and then they're afraid to say that they don't know differently. So we empower them with plant-based nutrition, whether they want to go fully vegan, which I hope that they do, or not, eat mostly plants and and keep going forward. Reconnect to that unbroken relationship between you and your physical self and how that allows you to want to show up every single day and be present for that physical connection. Then reestablish the the emotional connection, which takes therapy. No amount of kale is going to help you investigate your emotional situation. But it's going to give you the opportunity to feel more physically connected to the fact that you you are not broken. You never have been. Your body has never given up on you. It wants you to live. It wants you to thrive. There's not an organism on the planet that is designed in a way that says, you know what? I'm really not going to hope you make it. Every single body is designed by nature to take whatever we deliver to it and go, I'm going to do the best I can with this. Even if it's a McDonald's cheeseburger or the healthiest kale salad on the planet, the answer is always the same. What's the best I can do with this? How can I keep this person alive? I am your ally. If we could reestablish that understanding, plant-based nutrition is one of the most profound vehicles I've ever seen to allow someone to discover how unbroken they've always been. Mm -hmm. And So I think that the two do go hand in hand.
1: Wow. Well, this is such a fascinating conversation. I'm just blown away by your story and your insights. We're going to take a short break on Voice America Radio, but we're going to stay live on Facebook.
2: Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America.
0: Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com.
1: channel we don't follow we lead. join us the voice america influencers channel You are listening
0: to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to Jane Unchained News at gmail.com.
1: Now back to the show. I am so delighted to be here with Adam Sud and Tara Kemp. They have done a study that you're hearing about for the first time. This is breaking news and exclusive. It shows potentially a possible connection between uh, a successful recovery in a plant-based diet. I hope I'm not overstating it, um, but it seems <laughs> that was like great. That, that, <laughs> that's what I'm getting out of it. So why don't we go back a little bit, Tara, and explain what the study actually was, like who participated yeah. and how?
3: Yeah. yeah, so the study took place in Austin, Texas at a wonderful facility called Infinite Recovery. And when people came into the facility, they were given the opportunity to join the study. And if they wanted to, they could self-select into the intervention group or control group. So the control group just ate whatever the facility was already providing. um, And the intervention group ate a whole food plant-based diet. uh, And both groups received weekly nutrition education to support their dietary track. And during the first three weeks of the study, they were in an inpatient residential facility. And so all of their meals, meals were provided by the facility itself. And then during the following seven weeks of the study, um, they were purchasing and preparing their own food. And um, you In, know, in was, a
2: sober living facility.
3: Yes, sorry, um, in, in outpatient, yes, sober living. Um, and yeah, and then along the way, um, at baseline week three and week 10, we did all sorts of assessments. I could give you a long list, but I'll spare you of that. Um, and then, so, you know, those were our findings and, um, it was really exciting.
1: Okay. So you, just to boil it down, you have one group eating your regular American diet provided by the rehab. You have another eating plant-based. They're all there to recover from (laughs) whatever, an addiction, likely drugs, alcohol, some, some kind of addiction like that. That's usually yes. where people go for rehab. And um, what did you find, what was the bottom line after the, the study was done in terms of what happened with the control group and yeah. the yeah. plant-based group?
3: Yeah, so one of the most exciting findings was to see that those who, you know, like I said, in the following seven weeks of the study in the last seven weeks, they were making their own food choices. And so we were checking in with them once weekly to do diet recalls to see what they were eating. But those who were in the intervention group eating the whole food plant-based diet actually maintained their healthy eating to a greater extent than anyone who was in the control group. And so we can see that they have a higher diet quality. And then we also found that based on splitting people up um, on diet quality, so those who have a higher diet quality, a healthier diet versus a lower diet quality, a lower healthy diet, those who had the healthiest diet had the greatest level of resilience at the 10 week mm-hmm. mark. And so we're associating the number one, we're saying that if you are taught how to eat healthy and you're given a meaningful relationship to it through the nutrition education, you know, our study showed that that is associated with having greater healthy food habits on your own as you're continuing to move forward. And that that's associated with having stronger resilience in yourself. And right. so, as well as,
2: as, well as self esteem.
1: As well as when self-esteem,
3: which is a potential mediator. Yeah, when you say resilience, are you saying staying sober? So- um, resilience could lead to staying sober, but we weren't measuring sobriety itself. That we were using a resilient scale, which is essentially resilience. I would define as, and maybe Adam, you have a different <laughs> definition, but I would define it, um, and I can look to the actual scale, but define it as the ability to remain strong amidst challenges and maintain, you know, your, your goals. And yeah, basically it's like that ability when challenges arise. So to talk about addiction, when, when challenges arise, that's when someone is most likely to relapse if they don't have resilience. Whereas if they have resilience, they're able to stay strong in the face of those challenges and maintain that sobriety and maintain that lifestyle and maintain, healthy eating habits or the self-esteem and to see themselves as someone who has the capacity to get through those things.
2: It's interesting because I can recall in my journey by about month six, um, when I was having a session with my therapist and we were, we were discussing the fact that, you know, I was waking up every single day and I was eating this plant-based diet and I had lost at that point, you know, 60, 70 pounds. Um, I had, uh, reversed my diabetes, reversed my heart disease, reversed my erectile dysfunction. And it, and also, at the same time, I was getting up every day and I was having temptations. I was having cravings. I was having urges. I was having anxiety. I was having anger. There's all of these things that were coming up that had been bottled down by use, right? It was my opportunity to escape those feelings was now gone. And I found after about six months that I had an ability to have them and be okay with it. I had the opportunity to allow these feelings to exist See them as meaningful and valuable, as meaningful and valuable as those quote-unquote positive emotions that I allowed without judgment, the joy, the excitement, the love, that these were as reasonable and human as every single emotion within the breadth of human experience. And I would say that that experience, that that recognition is what resilience offers, You're confronted with something. It's difficult. You see it for what it is. You call upon new tools or previously learned tools to be present with that experience and go through it, go forward either on continued path of positive change or course correcting to a path of positive change. And we're seeing that increase as dietary, dietary quality increases.
1: Wow. That's fascinating. And it reminds me of a best-selling book, positive intelligence that, uh, I read and talks about that. It's, uh, Uh, That basically, uh, for example, anxiety is a self-sabotage. You know, Mm. you put your hand on a hot stove. You want want to touch it. You want to know that it's hot so you can move your hand away. But if you leave your hand on a hot stove all day, that's self-defeating. That's another way of saying it. It's very interesting. We've got another caller. Lindsay, your question or thought?
5: Well, when I was first on the phone, I kinda got answered already, but I'll get I'll put out my thought. Um I'm I'm thinking of vegans that have it. They're already vegan and they have an addiction. And then I thought yeah. of possibly one of the ways it could help them, you know, with the jumping like from one maybe they have a bulimia addiction and they become addicted to cannabis or something like that. But they've already are vegan. But Maybe yeah. one of the things would be to examine their diet because you can be an un- you can eat unhealthy food and still be vegan. But the other thing I was thinking mm-hmm. of is, or was going to ask, are there other parts of a program? Like, for instance, does meditation come into it? Um, and what are other things that you do besides the plant based diet? Which, of course, you know, I totally embrace. Yeah. I don't yeah, know if that's so, a question you, comment, you, you that's my I thought.
3: Know. Those were great points you brought great up. Great questions. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, take it but away. like you said, um, like Adam has said earlier, we don't think that the plant-based diet is the cure-all. There's not a one-way ticket to, you know, recovery and sobriety when it comes to addiction. And yes, um, meditation, mindfulness, yoga, dialectical behavioral therapy, um, all different types of counseling, spirituality. These are all important pieces that many recovery centers are starting to integrate. um, And some have been for a while. We are investigating food simply because it's a piece that's already there yet not being utilized. It's something that, um, you know, all recovery centers, especially in a residential space are feeding people food at least three meals a day. And it's something that you can use it as, as a doorway to deepening your relationship with yourself and with everything else, (laughs) essentially part of the whole big picture. And so if someone is already vegan.
1: Yeah, I I wanna be provocative for one second. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes as a long-term vegan, I get a sense that vegans might suffer a little bit more from depression because especially let's say vegan activists, we confront the worst that most people turn Mm -hmm. away from. I personally go to pig vigils where I see baby pigs by mm-hmm. the hundreds going in to be slaughtered. I see their terror, their frothing at the mouth. Uh, their babies is six months old. Yeah. When I leave, I'm depressed, I'll be honest with yeah. you. Now, luckily I have a very short attention span <laughs> and that helps me recover. I, the next day I wake up and I say, well, it's just empowering me to do more interviews like the one I'm doing with you right now. Yeah. But um, there is a, a sort of a school of thought that people who are willing to confront the darkest aspects of human behavior um, yeah. in terms of killing 80 billion animals every year are going to be sadder. Now, I'm just throwing yeah. that out as a provocative
2: question. You want it's to a great speak? question? Yeah. yeah. And what, what I would say is, wow if there is any situation that makes more sense to feel that way, it would be this, right? That that depression that an individual feels walking away from a slaughterhouse is not pathology. How could it be? It's the most reasonable response you could have to witnessing what you just witnessed. This is not human failure. That's humanity at its best. That's the fact that we're not simply bi- biology, that we are animals that can extend our compassion beyond ourselves to another species and that is a beautiful thing and if you can look at it from a point of view of of love based that the the reason why the signal arises that that hurts so much is because something that you are innately connected to is being threatened and why does it make sense and rather than i'm suffering ptsd and this needs to this signal or I'm, I'm suffering depression as a result of witnessing it. Why and how can I insult this signal with medication rather than how can I better understand why it makes sense? And I think that that's important because we have a profound willingness to not want to understand pain in our culture. We want to insult it. We want to medicate it. We want to shut it down so that it isn't present. And that is uh that that we took I, I think we took a wrong turn when it comes to mental health when we decided that that was the path we were going to take in, in 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 understanding human emotion was we only want to feel what one individual group or whatever defined as as uh, as uh, acceptable and the others I, would need to be insulted
3: i also will add to that most people were not modeled or taught how to process those difficult emotions. And so that is where something like addiction arises. You know, yeah. when, you, when you have these, these heavy feelings, you have these things, these parts of the world or these parts of yourself that you don't want to see and that you don't know what to do with, that's where something like addiction develops because you find this, you know, relatively easy, although eventually not, but easy way out. You find a way to numb, to distract, to escape. And so this is where we need to teach people these other skills of coping and processing and being with themselves, you know, using these other mental health resources to process those emotions so that you don't fall into the throes of addiction.
1: Yeah. Well, I think this is all so absolutely fascinating. And we know that addiction has existed throughout the course of human history. I mean, there's references in the Bible to the grape that nobody can put down. I don't have the exact quote, but uh, there are references to people who can't stop drinking even in the Bible. And um, so this is a um, a, really a a problem that comes with being human. There is even a school of thought that everybody's addicted to something. So you've got Mm -hmm. alcohol, drugs, smoking, food, Sex, gambling, and then there's the in- invisible addiction, uh, codependency, which is mm-hmm. often macerated as being nice, uh, but mm-hmm. it's actually—you uh, know—I don't want—I I, I don't want to characterize it, but some would call it being addicted to the drama of the act of the addict. Uh, mm-hmm. So, the stereotypical wife who covers up for her alcoholic husband would be the sort of classic example. Sure, um, sure. So when you look at the scope of potential addictions, you know, a lot of people have something. I'm not going to say everybody's addicted, but it's definitely out there. Uh, In fact, I wrote a book called Addict Nation that talked about how we live in an addictogenic culture that encourages addiction because there's no better customer or consumer than somebody who's addicted. So the reason why fast food has sugar, salt, and fat is that we're Biologically programmed to seek those uh, substances to get us through times of famine, so they pack those into fast food, and then you have people overeating. And unfortunately, we have an obesity crisis as a result. The obesity crisis in the fast food industry uh, run parallel, and it's mm-hmm. a relatively recent phenomenon because. Yeah, fast food came on the scene very early. I'd say the late '50s just got started in the yep. '60s, and then it wasn't really the '70s, '80s, the '90s, where it became the dominant aspect of our culture. Where you go on your ways, and you're seeing where's the nearest fast food joint. Or I don't want to sing. I don't want to s- s- point to way every time I go to look for somewhere. Where am I going? What do I see? Yeah. Fast food joints on the on the freeway. Um, as if that's the most important thing I need to know uh, where the next fast food joint is. So th- we definitely are living in an addictogenic culture. And I think what you're offering is a great a potential solution. Now I want to ask you about this. First of all, you, you're probably going to get some backlash where people say this is irresponsible and uh, people are yep. suffering and their lives are at stake. And you're telling them that if they eat a uh, carrots and uh you know, potatoes, they're, they're going to cure their addiction. You're not saying that. And no, I think i want to make it very, very clear that you're not yes. saying that because there is a tremendous, because so many people try to make money off addiction, uh, mm-hmm. that, uh, and they try to offer a cure, um, which, uh, I don't think is out there. I think it's a spiritual problem yeah. with a spiritual solution, which is another way of saying what you've been saying. But, um, I want to talk about this one aspect that I think I've thought of, and it could be sort of a basis for exploration. Your serotonin levels are based on your gut biome, correct Mm. me if I'm wrong. And your gut biome is based on what you eat. So if you're eating healthy fruits, vegetables, nuts, and grains, your gut biome is improved. That increases your serotonin levels. And you're happier. Yeah. And so can you address that?
2: Yeah, we actually, our study is actually a microbiome study. So we actually did do a microbiome study throughout. We don't have the the final data on that. But I think it's important to understand that there's a really interesting statistic out in the world that most people will cite. And they'll say things like 90% of your dopamine and 50% of your serotonin is produced in the gut. And I think it's important to understand that those neurotransmitters do not cross the blood-brain barrier. And what that means is they don't make it to your brain. Those aren't the neurotransmitters that actually are the serotonin and dopamine that your brain utilizes. However, your gut microbiome influences the production of of uh, nutrients like 5-HT that does cross the blood-brain barrier that is responsible for the production of things okay. like serotonin and dopamine. I have and to dopamine. say something. You mm-hmm.
1: lost me. <laughs> <laughs> Can you yeah. say exactly what you said and try to just say it in people terms? Because I, I did. I.
2: Yeah. Okay. So people are are it's it's clickbait and it's and it's it's an exciting statistic when people say, Oh, I heard that 50% of my dopamine or 90% of my dopamine and 50% of my serotonin is made in the gut. That means my neurotransmitters start in my gut. And that's not inherently true. What's happening is your gut health influences the production of nutrients that do cross the blood brain barrier that are responsible for the formation of your neurotransmitters in the brain. So uh, yes, gut health does have an impact. If you were to do something like tracking your neurotransmitters from your gut, you wouldn't understand the neurotransmitter population of your brain. However, we, you're right. There is a, a very, very strong connection between your gut health and your emotional health. And there's epidemiology to support this. There's population studies to support that the greater consumption of plants, the lower incidences of depression and anxiety and stress. Uh, Those aren't controlled trials, but they're interesting and they do show correlation. And so um, the microbiome research world is is very new. We're discovering a lot of amazing things and we're hoping to see amazing correlation between the changes in the gut uh, microbiome samples that we took and increases in resiliency and other scores.
1: Wow, so um, where do you go next Tara with this study? Again, I don't want to overstate it, but I don't want to understate it. Give us a summary and where, where this goes. Are, are you going to publish this in a scientific, is it going to be peer reviewed? What's happening with it?
3: Yeah. So um, our first manuscript is nearly complete and we'll be submitting that shortly. And as Adam said, we have three other manuscripts that we're planning to write. We gathered a lot of data on this, and so we're splitting it up into separate segments. Um, but you know what I would say is that another thing that I think is just important to, to share for everyone here is that every single participant who was part of this study expressed that they were, that they valued the experience, whether they were in the intervention group or control group, they valued the experience of paying more attention to their food and having an influence of nutrition as part of their recovery process. They found it to be valuable to their recovery experience. So, that alone, that single thing alone says a lot. Um, and so, yeah, what I would say here is that the findings of this study definitely um, support future research to examine these questions in greater depth and breadth.
1: Now, how are rehabs responding to this? Um, we all know the old saw: when somebody <laughs> gets sober from alcohol, they give them a cup of coffee and some chocolate chip cookies because that helps them stave off the cravings. Um, mm-hmm. But ultimately, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, to be able to incorporate a healthy plant-based diet into your recovery is amazing. Again, Devil's advocate, I'm going to ask you for yeah. those who would say, "Hey, you can't solve all your problems at once." Okay, if mm-hmm. you're if 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 some if if addiction A is causing you to drive the wrong way down the freeway, that's the one you got to take care of. Don't worry about these other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes people who try to do everything at once, which I've seen myself, I'm going to quit drinking, I'm going to quit drugging, I'm going to quit smoking, I'm going to quit, I'm going to I'm going to quit sugar. I said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" Yeah. So, You're taking on an awful lot here at once. What would you say to those who say, well, you know, you're the person who has a serious drug or alcohol problem. They have to focus on that. What would you Mm -hmm. say to that? How would you counter that?
2: I think context matters a lot with that question. Um, I think that if you have the opportunity to find yourself in a rehab hospital that can support you while at the same time helping you build a loving relationship around uh, healthy healing foods, then there's no better place to do it. If you're that individual who's homeless on the street uh, and trying not to drink and finds himself in an AA meeting uh, multiple times a day and the only source of calories you have is that donut or that cookie, for, for please, with all my permission, please eat it. I don't want you to die or starve to death out of the, for the sake of a plant-based diet. Um, but what we know to be true and what we're discovering is we're, I, I want to make a difference more so than I want to make a point. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to make a difference. We're trying to show that there's valuable information that can increase the quality of recovery for individuals who are checking into rehab hospitals or for somebody who's out of recovery who would just like to incorporate more plants and see what it does. We're bringing valuable information that didn't exist to a landscape that has far too missing pieces. And I think that whether or not there's a a resounding, yes, we want this, or a resounding, no, you can't do this, that's irrelevant because it can't be ignored anymore, and that's important.
1: So how are rehabs reacting to this? By the way, I work with uh, social compassion legislation, and uh, a law has been passed in California that says that institutions like hospitals and prisons must provide plant-based alternatives. And frankly, a lot of the hospitals are not, um, from what I've heard, Ad hominem people complaining to me. A lot of the hospitals are acting like that law doesn't exist, and uh, yeah. maybe they need to be confronted over that. But presumably, institutions might include rehabs that they that they would have to offer, that they would be required to offer a substantial vegan meal. Yeah. This is where the um, you know nuances are important. A substantial yeah. vegan meal, because so often they'll say, "Well, here, here's a you know, piece of Salad. White bread. yeah," or and a couple of pieces of lettuce. So uh, where do where do the rehabs stand in this?
2: Well they, they don't know yet because we're we're <laughs> on our we're 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 gonna publish and then we'll see how they respond. Um, I, I'm 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 welcome I'm you know I'm associated with a lot of individuals in the recovery world. Um, and when I do present about this, they get very excited because I think at the end of the day, people that are behind these treatment programs, they just wanna help people. They really do. That's why they got into it. Um, are there individuals who are just trying to make money? Sure. But I don't think that the majority of people, I think that the majority of these people are are honestly wanting to help someone. And if they if they can hear and learn about information that could better support the people that, are, that they're trying to serve, that they'll take it. Is it, is it going to be easy? No. Is there going to be road bumps? Yes. And I'm fine with both of those.
1: Wow. Well, I mean... I think this is revolutionary. Just because I ask provocative questions doesn't mean that I don't think it's fantastic because so often it's sad to see somebody overcome one problem, but then they're still involved in something that's making them very unhealthy, that's Mm -hmm. contributing mightily to climate change and, of course, involves the torture and killing of animals unnecessarily. So it's kind of sad that they've solved one problem, but um, sometimes even embracing more deeply another problem. And so I think this is spectacular. Um, In fact, you know, I wrote my recovery memory, a memoir. I want my journey from addiction and overconsumption to a simpler, honest life. I should have said more honest life because nobody's (laughs) entirely honest, but uh, (laughs) being honest for a second, but- uh, Uh, I call my three miracles getting sober, going vegan, and coming out as gay. It was only after I got sober that I had the courage to um, admit to myself and to others that I'm gay. And uh, once, as long as I had alcohol, I just didn't, I did not confront it. I didn't deal with it. So um, for me, it's like a miracle. Sobriety is a miracle. But take... Uh, take Please take it away there and talk a little bit about that, um, the spiritual aspect of it, because there is a spiritual link to plant-based eating. It, mm-hmm. it, uh, every single religion, uh, whatever religion, whatever spiritual doctrine, one of the fundamental uh, tenets is compassion, love, nonviolence, cause the least amount of suffering, you can. Yeah. Those are universal spiritual um, beliefs, and certainly a plant-based diet dovetails with that. And sobriety uh, is about, um, for, well, I don't want to define it for anybody else, but for me, emotional sobriety is staying on the spiritual being. Even though I get knocked off all the time, I, I drag myself back on.
3: Yeah. yeah. Sure, so sure you know, we great actually did um, measure spirituality using a quantitative scale and it did improve over the course of the study. Um, but I'm as like Adam, I'm a story person. And I will say that from the qualitative interviews, people, as I said earlier, mentioned an increase in spirituality, mentioned feeling more connected to, them to, to their food, mentioned, you know, something that came up for a lot of people that I, I personally wasn't expecting was this sense of, removing everything unnecessary getting to a place and maybe adam is more (laughs) i'm just the researcher so i was like wow this is what the data shows but i'm sure adam has that personal experience i've actually seen it in him he talks often about his experience living in nepal and removing all of the unnecessary things from his life and how that was a huge part of his sobriety but anyways um you know they shared that you know in the same sense that it's like you know alcohol is unnecessary it was it was that meat is unnecessary dairy is unnecessary like i am sticking with the things that my body most needs. And, and that makes me feel like I am, am more aligned with myself and, and being, living in the world in, in a way that I'm giving more than I'm taking. And, and I love to, to see that in people. And that was really interesting. But in general, that spiritual piece is people felt more connected, not only to the world around them through the environmental effects, through not harming animals and not taking any lives. Um, but also in connection to their selves and their bodies, feeling like they were taking care of themselves in a way that they hadn't ever before or in a very long time.
1: Well, I, I want to say one thing and ask you, because as far as I could see, if I really think about this issue, uh, people, when they do something that is violent, let's say commit a crime, and I happen to have been a crime reporter for several decades, they um, feel guilt. Unless they're sociopaths, they feel guilt. They feel remorse. They're haunted by it. I believe on some level of the brain, people are aware that they're killing when they're eating animals. They're aware they're participating in killing animals. And I think they're haunted by it. And I think that's part of the depression.
2: Yeah, I I think that when you look at spirituality, when you look at religions across the globe, from like the root values systems of religions, of spirituality, of uh that there's a, there's a great quote by Albert Schweitzer that sort of speaks to the root of it is that i am life that wants to live amidst life that wants to live and when you think about that that's sort of a root value across the spectrum of spirituality that speaks to a root value system within humanity that our compassion extends beyond our biology to the species next to us which is extraordinary within the bio- biology of our planet And um, and so, yeah, I I would absolutely agree that that's a core value system and veganism is attached to that value system.
1: Wow. This has been one of the most fascinating conversations I've ever had. I am just blown away by what you have accomplished, (laughs) what you're doing. Very ambitious. And yet you're achieving it. I can't wait to see where this goes. I would love to see headlines in all the major newspapers about this. I'd love to see a book about it. I'd love to see, I mean, this is really um, breakthrough stuff that you're doing. And I just want to thank you for taking the time to be here uh, on our multiple platforms. Uh, We really appreciate it. Adam Sud, Tara Kemp, thank you and carry on.